the Holy Gospel according to St. John, the sixth chapter. Jesus said to the crowd, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Then the Jews began to complain about him because he said, I am the bread that comes down from heaven. They were saying, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered him, do not complain among yourselves. No one can come to me unless drawn by the father who sent me. And I'll, I will raise that person up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Gospel of the Lord. You may be seated, and the children may come forward for a children's sermon. morning. A very silent group today. How many of you are familiar with the game Hide and Seek? Well, good. If not, we've got a treat for you today. Oh, you do? So you kind of, so the, the general game is that someone closes their eyes and counts to whatever number that they decide on. Sometimes it's 20, sometimes it's 10, sometimes it's 3. That's right. And then you, you go, the other person goes and hides, right? And when they're done counting, they open their eyes. They say, ready or not, here I come. And you go looking for them, right? You just go looking for them everywhere. Do you want to play a quick game? All right. But... Because I don't want a ton of chaos, you are all going to count, and I'm going to hide, okay? All right, can you close your eyes? Close your eyes. Can you cover your eyes? Very good. Now you're going to count to ten, okay? Ready? Go. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, Eight, nine, ten. All right, you can open your eyes. Did you find me? <laughs> All right. You want to make it tougher? Okay, let's make it tougher. Close your eyes again. Count to ten. All right, here we go. 
One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Timmy found me. Very good. All right, once more, okay? Once more. Now, this is going to be a hard one, okay? All right, close your eyes. Close your eyes. Three, four, five, six. Now we've got it. All right, now I want to talk about this a little bit, okay? Because this, this actually has a meaning. The first time, where was I? Point to where I was. The first time, the first time. Was I, that was the last time, okay? So there was three times. The first time, where was I? Yeah, I was right here. Now, this is a lot like where we see God when we come to church. We know God's going to be here. And sometimes God is very obvious, right? We hear God in lessons. We hear God in the baptism. We hear God in our table. We hear God in music. All It's great. Now, the second time, where was I? I was over at the piano. That's right. We, we see God a little bit but sometimes we have to look for God here. We hear God in the music that we sing. We hear God in the words that come to us and the things that are sung inside our head. You ever have a song get stuck in your head? Yeah. Sometimes we can see God in those new things. The third time, where was I? Where was I that third time? The last time. Yeah, I was at the door. Could you see me? No, you couldn't see me. Sometimes, we have a phrase, sometimes God goes out before us. And we have to go and follow God. We have to go and see what God's up to and see what God's doing, and then we participate in it. Sometimes, God meets us in the place that we already are, and sometimes God goes ahead of us, and we go and find God in those places. Now, can you see God at any point? No, so it's a little more difficult already, isn't it? But I want to give you a few clues when you're looking for God. You can find God here. God will be here. You can find God in the songs that we sing. It might be a little more difficult, but keep those songs and get them stuck in your head and carry them right here in your heart. And know that the same God that's here and the same God that's in our songs is out there too. That's the same God. So here's what I want you to do. This week, I want you to play hide and seek with God. 
I don't want you to hide. Not that you could. I want you to look for God. Who isn't hiding either? But sometimes it's tricky to find God. If you get stuck, ask your parents for help. If you can't find God anywhere, come back here next week, and I promise you'll find God. Sound good? All right. Should we say a prayer? Let us pray. God, we are very thankful. We're thankful for places we know we will see you, and thankful for places that you go ahead of us. Help us to see you in all kinds of new places this week. And when we do, help us to be joyful and happy and help us to share you with others. Thank you very much for being a God here and very far away. In your name we pray. Amen. We have a snack. Oh, that's nice. In the name of Jesus, amen. We continue our work with the Old Testament this week, and to be quite frank with you, I would rather just play hide-and-seek the rest of the time. <laughs> because the text is very, very, very difficult. It is often held as one of the more difficult texts in our entire scripture. And not because of the pericope that we have here today, the little selection that we have here today, but because of everything that leads up to it. Absalom is king, one of King David's many sons. But he's got a really bad history. Absalom was regularly acting out, acting against David, but David would regularly forgive Eventually, Absalom's infamous thing was that he raped his half-sister, Tamar. And it really just gets your attention, doesn't it? And David, because he was split didn't know what to do as king, didn't know what to do as a father, and didn't do very well with either. At all. Absalom fled, but then also came back, started a coup, and took away the kingdom of Israel from David. Which is how we come to this place. Read verse 7 in your bulletins today. You'll notice that the people of Israel and the servants of David are fighting one another. That's supposed to be the same people. This is an internal war. This is a civil war. This is very bad. And there's not been much justice throughout. And you see David still in this place where he split, where he... He understands that justice must come to Absalom for truly horrific things. But he also still sees Absalom as his son, and he asks the commander of his people, Joab, 
go easy on him. And they don't. And he meets a truly horrific end. And so we come to a place where we've seen David before, and yet a very different David. We come to a place where David is out on the wall, wailing and weeping. At the beginning of the summer, we saw a similar David. David's reign began like this, because King Saul was someone who was pursuing David to kill David. And when Saul was killed and David became king, he wept then. And we asked over and over and over, why is David weeping? And I think we should ask that same question now. Why is David weeping? David weeps for reasons that we probably don't even understand, but for reasons that are very similar. David weeps because this is not how people treat one another, and this is not how family treats one another. He weeps because as a king and as a father and as a human being, you don't ever expect to go down this road, but here he is. He weeps because even though he's got all the power, everything has fallen. Everything's messed up. Nothing is as it should be. He was supposed to be a good and great king of Israel. And here he is with so many members of his family hurt, in pain, distressed, and dead. And he has no words. My son, my son, Absalom, my son, why not I instead of you? This is a different text than we're used to. When we come to church and we read scripture, a lot of times we look for that part that we are supposed to copy. We look for that part that we are supposed to enact in our own lives. We look for that character that maybe expresses a quality that's good for us to copy. Or maybe we look for that teaching that is good for us to carry in our hearts. But here we just see mess. But I think it is good and right that this is a part of our scripture too. Lest we think that our faith only exists in perfect places and lest we think our faith only exists when everything is right. No, this is a part of our faith. This is in our holy book. This, as much as the creation story and as much as Noah and as much as Moses and as much as before that, Abraham, and as much as King David's good times, and as much as the birth of Christ. This is important because this tells us that God deals in a real world with real problems, with real people. 
This is not a fantasy you would write. This is something that we often avoid at all costs, but this is the reality of our God. That God doesn't take sort of broken people, God takes really broken people, and God doesn't take sort of bad issues, God takes really bad issues, and God transforms them, not taking away the pain that is there. But God transforms them into a place where God will indeed grow good things. It doesn't make what happened to Tamar okay. And it doesn't make Absalom and his actions okay. What it does make is us understand that these things are never the end of the story. Someone once told me that the gospel, that God uses the good news of Christ and plants it in the least likely of places where there is, and I'll say in church, manure. God plants the good news of God in Christ Jesus where there is plenty of manure. Because soil without good fertilizer eventually becomes dry, but soil mixed in with a lot of good fertilizer will bear good fruit repeatedly and often. Now, I don't know about you, but I can look at my personal life and the life of the world and see tons and tons and tons of manure. Because this is the reality that God works in. God bears fruit out of manure. Really bad manure. So you too this week. If you see God in a place that has a lot of its edges smoothed out like this, great. And if you hear God speaking to you in places where there's a little more complexity, wonderful. And if you find yourself in the middle, knee-deep in manure, God is there too. And if you can't find God at all, if you only find yourself weeping on the wall because that is where you are in life, I will do my best to tell you, and I pray your neighbors do too, that that is not the end of the story and that you will see good fruit. And I am sorry for your pain. And I am sorry for the manure. will be with you there. In good and bad and otherwise places in this world, God be with you. And may fruit grow quickly and fully and abundantly in this manure.